Hey now, welcome back to season three of the podcast. We are up to chapter 16 out of 20 of Once Upon a Rhyme. So we're nearing the end. Uh, just to reset in case you're a new listener, uh, Oski opens this chapter still at the district championship basketball game, watching in the stands and starting to rethink his sudden impulse to have asked Ellie out on a date. Chapter 16, thought we'd win. Oski had barely sipped the water before he wished it was vodka. He was immediately disconcerted, unable to recall his last real date or the reasons for his impulsiveness. What have I done? He smiled and resignedly slid Bell the open text thread on his cell phone, doing it gingerly the way people do when nauseous, when flustered at the thought of any further movement. Well, why don't you look at you, Buis? Bell returned the phone. If I had known the master was at work, I would have skipped the bathroom to watch. Bell was joking about his past when Oski had always kept his romantic pursuits to himself to help his present, in which Oski was readily recoiling from his Saturday commitment. She could see it on his face. He had clamped himself in a roller coaster, slowly climbing up the first hill, and he wanted to stop the world for a second or perhaps reverse it about ten minutes. He put his head back against the wall and tried not to grimace, but that's what he felt. It was the weight of second-guessing. The brain was barely built for the decisions we make, let alone when we constantly try to review them twice. Isn't she a lucky bird? Belle laughed, doing what one does when seeing someone falter, grab an arm and lift the person up. She'll have a great time she'd never get otherwise, and you'll have fun showing her that. Oski noted the halftime score. Good guys down by eight. Doable, but a high degree of difficulty. He could relate at the moment, seeing his Saturday to come just the same. You know, if I can go heavy a moment, I think Mom would smile at you for going. It doesn't have to be a life-defining moment, just you treating another person to some fun and kindness, the way Mom always did. Oski really tuned into Belle this time, absorbing thoughts of Annie, even while still facing toward the halftime show. He saw little Lee proudly adding the most crooked of cartwheels to the cheerleader performance. Ellie was laughing and shaking her head as Oski's eyes found her across the way. His phone buzzed and her text said, Kids, seemed like a good idea at the time. He couldn't help but tee heat to that and he couldn't help but feel her playfulness settle his stomach. She really was pretty cool. And he couldn't help but agree that Annie would likely have approved since she had always wanted joy for her son and for him to at least try to find it. And he couldn't help but notice Belle's smack-talking posture as she read the text and his reaction. Is this where I remind you I'm always right? Oh, wait, I did that just a minute ago. The game in Wilmington season ended a couple of quarters later, but not for lack of resistance. Dite never learned to go down easy, and players always resemble their coach's personality. Association is assimilation, as Hollis would have said, or you become what you hang around. Still, a tourney game is a study in extremes, and a loss brings so much sudden death, most of all to the 100% belief that was in the locker room just 90 minutes before. D would have tears to mop up and lockers to clean out, so Oski escorted Belle to her car and then shepherded Turbo toward home. I really thought we would win, Dad. That was all Turbo said on a somber ride across town. Oski let the words sit there, 
Coaching had taught him the art of silence. There will be pain, tears, and some messy hearts and faces, even for the ball boy in his back seat. But that was okay. The old weight room saying, no pain, no gain, actually applied best to the emotional side of sports. Though it was always hard for a coach or a parent, or in Oski's case on this night, both, to allow that hurtful seed to plant and grow. You want to wipe tears, instantly replace any bad with good, and explain everything away. Not tonight. Let's talk about it tomorrow, Turbo. Oski offered as he walked Turbo and CP upstairs to bed. It's better to see the how and why things happened after some rest. And besides, we have a busy Friday ahead. All that was true. Perspective is proportionate to distance. And they had travel team practices at 6 a.m. All right, so I'll stop there. All that was true. Perspective is proportionate to distance. And they had travel team practice at 6 a.m., then Turbo to school and Oski to court, then game night over at D-Tays and Marybeth's. A full day for sure, whether aged 40 or 10. The unsaid was also true. After the emotional ups and downs of the day, Oski just needed to close up shop early. He had fallen into sadness over Annie, then climbed out of it, only then to run and jump off the next cliff on a whim. He was no different from Turbo and would try to take his own advice. The how and why and what to do next would be best analyzed when the sun came up. A spattering of snow, CP snapping up a treat, and two bleary-eyed boys with bags packed climbing into the truck for practice at 5.45 a.m. The usual Friday, until Oski and Turbo turned on the lights in the gym to find Dite already there, dripping with sweat. Turbo dropped his gear to rebound for D, who was finishing up an hour of self-flagellation with a round of jump shots. Oski set up for practice, wholly unsurprised, as he and Dite shared the same postseason shape, liquid. To make penance for mistakes, exercise your anguish and absolve your regret, they turned their human form into as much sweat as possible. This was Dite's morning after, and he obviously couldn't sleep, so he had come early to make his peace with the loss. Oski did do a double take, though, on all the laughter he was hearing at the other end of the gym. Turbo and D had devolved into a game of knockout with accompanying giddiness. Usually, the big loss grieving process was pain, sweat, clarity, then resolve, all solemn, almost angry. But Dite was amply upbeat. What's gotten into you, sir? Did you and I both attend the same game last night? Oski half expected some kind of new pre-workout powder. Dite was a ball of energy, patting everyone on the back, high-fiving kids as they warmed up with simple catch, mouthing enthusiasm to anyone in earshot. Happy got into me, boss man. And you are welcome to check your court files, but you will find that happy is not a crime. Dite was hopping around, helping everyone, much like the old Bugs Bunny cartoon where he plays every position on the baseball field alone, he could coach this practice himself. The kids were snickering, the sweat drops flying, and it was a symphony of sport, orchestrated by a one-man band. Oski took the gifted energy as it came, but seriously, was his friend on crack? You know I'm on your wagon, sir, but you mind filling me in before you're sent for a drug test at school this morning? Oski interrupted with his comedic inquiry only with the kids at a water break 
when D was still enough to see one notch below a blur. I'll do you one better, Big O, or better yet, I'll do you three, like Hollis. He was actually shooting baskets, and not missing, between sentences at each breath. We had a great season, better than expected. We see Boo Saturday, and he's been texting me. He seems okay. And maybe my best friend is saying there's a chance. Oski's eyes bulged. How did he know? Anybody else, and maybe even Detay with any other delivery, would have set Oski back on his heels, forced to retreat to his preclusive cave. But after momentary beats for D to catch his breath from all the talking, the two just guffawed, one knowing he had nailed the facts, the other knowing there was no defending this brand of Detay. If you can't beat them, practice flew by in its detaphinated state. And otherwise, helpless to his supersonic partner, Oski's newly created adjective was officially his only contribution to the session. He did get D to fill in one blank, though. Elliot stopped Detay after the game and discussed Saturday, mentioning both the likely 11 a.m. boo visit and then her trip with Oski afterward. That's how he knew, and that's how he got over the loss so soon. The frenetic Friday never found its breaks after its fast start. By mid-morning, Oski was already knee-deep into his third coffee and his fifth of 15 cases with Judge Pete in juvenile court. And he would have imagined Detay still dancing around his fifth-grade math class if he had a moment to spare. How about these next two, Oski? You think you might talk to the Simpson boys and get to the bottom of their latest school stunt? Judge Pete handed Oski their files and nodded toward the conference room, where young William and Michael Simpson, ages 12 and 10 respectively, awaited their fate. Both were already regular court attendees, and both had open probation cases with Oski. Sometimes in cases involving minor charges and ongoing probation, Oski had a knack for compromise and saving the court time. They still need their public defender present, but often the kids and their attorney would let their guard down for Oski as opposed to a prosecutor. Oski would still recommend punishment to Judge Pete when appropriate, but it helped that his primary objective was the child's best interest and not the child thrown under the jail. Oh, and sir, Judge Pete waved him back up in private. You find a mate yet for that second ticket on Saturday? Oski looked up from the files to Judge P, his scoffing face meaning every bit of, you too? You cannot be serious. Pete never looked more like Santa, with a wink that already knew whether Oski had been naughty or nice and what was wrapped under the tree. Oski pleaded the fifth and went on his way. He knew Judge P was just happy for him, and Detay had already hammered home the invincibility of happy, so he just had to withstand the storm. Judge had pulled the right string using Oski on the Simpsons. There was 10-year-old Michael, the muscle of the operation, who had boosted older brother William, only half Michael's size but the brains of the outfit, and known locally as Wilmington's own Billy the Kid, through a school window. Then Michael had tried to catch a microwave thrown down to him, but the oven had obviously been too much for him and had been damaged beyond repair. So you have burglary going through the window and criminal mischief, destruction of the oven, both misdemeanors for two kids grabbing an oven for their home that didn't have one. And as you might expect, there were no concerned parents at the conference, just two kids facing the music alone. Michael was found with scratch marks on his hands from the bobbled appliance. He had confessed when the cops came knocking. 
Again, the kid was more brawn than brains. But not Billy. The mastermind maintained it had been only a one-man job, done only by Michael, and he held on tightly to the strings of Michael's loyal silence. But cutting the strings was elementary. Oski dropped an obvious untruth, which would interest Michael enough to correct it, nabbing his brother in the process. In this case, Oski limericked his way to the illegal truth. Oski's legal pad. Oski. Michael. Cops found the broken oven, but what of the TV? Michael. No such thing. We just swiped the oven, just like you said, Billy. Billy. Elboy Michael. Shut up, dummy. Billy. Now I'm up the river with you, see? Michael. A pause. Then, hey, Billy. Think we'll still get to keep the TV? Mystery solved. Easy peasy. Especially for one with Oski's experience. In any number of better lives, the budding Simpson crime family could be playing travel baseball or answering math problems at the front of the class. But their world was far less fun, their needs far more basic. Their counsel agreed to extended probation and community service at the school. With the threat to humanity averted, Oski was doodling limericks the rest of the day. Maybe happy was contagious. The rest of the day sped downhill until Oski coasted to a stop in Dite's driveway by 6.30 that evening. Non-football Fridays meant Turbo rode home with D after school for video game wars, and Marybeth would feed the troops their favorites by 7 p.m., then crust pizza for the child and cob seafood and steak salads for the adults, though Turbo typically had to smack sneaky hands away from his pizza. Oski's arrival would complete the crew and signal the weekend, starting with grown man ping-pong in the garage before dinner. Two out of three between the most competitive chaps to relax. Not a chance. My man, Dite said as he slammed the first point, I'm excited for you. Worst case, just a super fun Saturday. Best case, this one is worthy of real consideration. Dite bobbed and weaved just as he had 12 hours ago. He made Oski feel old instantly in both energy and the topic of conversation, but D was still amped up and dominating in both ping-pong points and punchy words. Yeah, moaned Oski, consider where to rank this on my Hall of Fame of Mistakes. Oski's return of serve, like his deflection of the Ellie talk, was pitiful. You kill me sometimes, oh. I'd say you really have no idea on love. None. Dite swiped a winner Oski couldn't reach to go up 8-4. The comments thunk some too. Okay, Mr. Big Shot, I'll bite. Explain it to me. Oski's frustrated serve went wide off the table. How do you even know you're in love? Lay it out like I'm four years old. Oh my. Dite's jaw dropped to gesture. You dare disrespect the champ? After a little resistance from Oski at 17-14, D reeled off four straight points to finish off game one, while his mouth watered at the love portion of words about to spew. Allow me to paint this picture for you. He served and rocked to the rhythm of his words to start game two. You'll know you're in real love when you see no holes. There's not one thing about Marybeth, mind, body, or spirit, that I would change. A netted serve failed to dissuade him. He scraped up the ball and served up some more. And at the same time, you no longer see holes in yourself because she fills up all of you. Every curve you're missing is one she has. It's true comfort, 
comfort you don't understand until you feel it. That what you are is exactly what they need you to be. Her presence makes sense of all my bullshit. All the stuff I went through molded me to fit her. Right person, right time, and most of all, the right kind of love. Oski served down 11-13, gagging a bit on the love and the losing. He'd have gladly agreed to a double date or even to fall in love at that point if it would just shush D up or at least somehow help him tie the score. You know me, man. I have to win. D's flurry continued. I have to love better than all those chumps we know. Just have to. If love is the Olympics, I'm winning the decathlon, and I'm taking gold in every event. And yet if I do all of that, if I love her harder than any man that ever lived, I know it will never be all the love that she deserves. Another of Oski's backhands went wide, setting up game point. It was all but over, and perhaps rightfully so, since even Oski had to admit that last comment was cool. Seriously, O, Dee said as he held the last serve a second. I want you to feel it. It's inimitable. You're inspired to give every ounce of yourself to them, compelled by overwhelming emotion, and yet you're a willful volunteer, laser-focused by a mind without doubt. She makes my heart blurry and my head clear at the same time, and I had never known either before her. To be continued. Dite's emphatic ace ended the two-game sweep, and his touchdown dance assured there was plenty more love lesson and ping-pong later, if Oski wanted some. Time to eat. Nothing makes a man hungrier than loving and winning. All right, that's a wrap on Chapter 16. We're getting close to the end. It's picking up speed. Detail takes control in this chapter. Clearly, he tells you how to get over a disappointing loss, and he defines love outright. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.